Welcome to the Red Carpet Cafe with your hosts, Eric Root and Bree Prout. Thank you for tuning in to the Red Carpet Cafe. I am one of your hosts, Eric Root, along with my lovely co-host, Bree Prout. How are you today, Bree? I'm doing well. How are you? Not bad. I'm in a... feeling... Yeah, go ahead. I'm in a musical mood. <laughs> are you? That's ironic that you're in a musical mood. Because I'm feeling like I want to talk about candy. Mm. Chocolate, more specifically. And not the, like... The, the candy movie. man can. <laughs> right. <laughs> not like... Uh, Chocolat or anything like that. Also a good film, but not exactly the chocolate I'm talking about. Not a big fan? Not a big fan of uh, foreign films? Just irony. I mean, it's another Johnny Depp movie, but... Oh, yeah, that's a good Not movie. my favorite of his by any stretch of the imagination, but I do own it. Let's, uh, let's talk about Wonka. I'm actually a big fan of... Wonka candy, like actual candy, not mm-hmm. the stuff in the movie, because half the stuff in the movie doesn't look like the real thing. We all know that. Right? Gobstoppers yeah. don't have the little crevices on there like the 70s film. Right. But, uh, and I I'm also like kind of disappointed stuff. that a scrum diddlyumptious bar doesn't exist. No, but Wonka bar has existed. I've had it. It's had chocolate. It's had graham. It's two great tastes that taste great together. And that's not really just meant to be a plug, but I mean, I, I, was like, uh-huh. I like it. I no, I, I genuinely like it. Um, but I think I want to talk about both of these films. The original one will go last. We'll start with the Johnny Depp film, since okay. it's the most recent, called okay. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You've seen both. Yes. What is your thought on this first film? I mean, I I grew up with the original, obviously. This Charlie and the Chocolate Factory didn't come out until 2005, but that was during um, a really big, really, I guess, second Johnny Depp hype because he had his hype in the 80s as well. But um, so naturally I had to watch it. And I found it, ironically, I found it really creepy which I know that part of like the writing for this one is to be based more off of the actual book. And when they were writing this one, they felt that the original was much darker. <laughs> and I feel the exact opposite. It's great. I love it. Um, I chuckle a lot when I watch it. There's a lot of comic relief within the movie but yeah i found it it creeped me out more than the original did and there's some pretty creepy things in the original <laughs> I agree. but overall i think it's fantastic i i enjoy watch every time i watch it i enjoy it and i always forget that it is in fact a musical <laughs> the original to, so then the, the original newest, one but. was definitely more like the musical where this one had the musical tendencies, but really it was limited to like the doll scene and um, the Oompa Loompas in both films, mm-hmm. but more so there was, I feel like there was more music in the original film. Oh, hundred percent. 
but staying focused on this this newer version i have to say it felt kind of like the weakest offering yet from tim burton and i enjoy tim burton films whether it's corpse bride or nightmare before christmas batman 89 i mean he's had a a list of films that are definitely fascinating and provocative uh, this one the casting was there mm-hmm. he's got all the major players helena bonham carter johnny depp he's got all kinds of different angles that he can take with these characters but maybe it was partially i can't blame 100 percent of the problem on depp or any of the other players but when it came to the screenplay there were moments where i was just kind of scratching my head going hmm and why did they have to take the makeup and make Johnny Depp look basically like a corpse with a wig? He, he was like a permanent filter on his face. Yeah, he looked like it was. He looked like he hadn't seen the sun in days, but we know that's not the truth mm-hmm. because in the beginning of the film, he's gone to different places, mm-hmm. whether it was India um, or the jungle, coming across the Oompa Loompas for the first time, or even as a kid. Uh, wearing the the hardware and such, mm-hmm. but I will say there were some moments in that film that definitely, when I first saw it, I couldn't help but laugh out loud. And example would be, um, <laughs> everything when they're inside the the beginning room and they're looking at everything that's edible. Mm-hmm. He turns to the kids and he goes, even I'm eatable, but that is called cannibalism, which is frowned upon in most societies. <laughs> like, all right, uh, fair. <laughs> well, that's that line is in the original also, minus the the cannibalism comment. Correct. Um, <laughs> two things I wrote on Tim Burton. Um, I feel that of the majority of Tim Burton's films, I would put this one as the most child-friendly. Okay, that's reasonable. So I feel like that might be, there's a little less, um, I mean, there's humor in there, there's dark humor, you just talked about being a cannibal, but (laughs) there's a lot less dark underlying pieces in this movie than what he typically is known for. Um, but I think that that is because it's based so strongly off of a pre-existing book. Okay. Um, that being said, um, I forget what I was going to say. I was going to go off of something that you had said in comparing the two with the cannibalism. Anyway, that, that's my note on Tim Burton. We'll leave it at that. If I think of the other thing, I'll let you know. Well, my favorite line in that newer film actually comes near the end. It's in the elevator scene as they're crossing through the various rooms. And he points out to uh, Mike TV and Charlie Bucket. He goes, this is the puppet hospital in Burn Center. It's relatively, it's relatively new. new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're dolls all burn up at the beginning of the film. 
<laughs> but it happens so quickly that if you're not paying attention, mm-hmm. you kind of miss it. But right. to me, that's like fa- my favorite line in the whole film. Yeah, I remember now what I was going to say, that those types of moments happen in both films very often. Like you can, um, in the original, when certain things are said or done, you can see the lack of enthusiasm in Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder's character. Right. Um, and, and you have to pay attention to those facial expressions. Like when he's like, no, don't, don't do that. You know, or like just the look on his face when he might sound a little bit more um, enthusiastic about something, but the look on his face is like just a stone wall because you get this impression throughout the original that he just absolutely hates children, which is ironic because the gentleman who wrote the book definitely felt that way. (laughs) Um, Then in the, the newer one in Charlie and the chocolate factory, it's more verbal than facial expressions. Those moments of how Willy Wonka is really feeling towards the children and them being there and the outcome of the entire day. Um, I do think, though, that both Willy Wonkas are vastly different in their character arc, their storyline, everything. I agree. When you look at the original Willy Wonka, he's he's pushing everyone away. He doesn't want anyone there. He's he's waiting for everyone to mess up so he can move on to the next thing. Like, you know, like another thing that he tried, it failed, whatever. And then he gets so excited at the end and explains like, please forgive me, please forgive me, Charlie. When he's like coming around to like realizing that Charlie is who he's been looking for, uh, his golden ticket. Where in the newer one with Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka, um, he's, like, for example, a lot, of, a lot of things that happen in the first one don't happen in the newer one. For example, drinking the fizzy lifting drink. So that doesn't happen. So they don't have that interaction of him feeling like Charlie failed in some way. And so that, that dynamic and that attitude you see, speaking of with Mike TV, when they're in that glass elevator, you see the look that he gives Charlie is almost like a look of, like, admiration when Mike TV says something about how, like, um, uh, what is something about, like, you know, there's no point, there's no point to, um, there's no point to candy. Candy's pointless. And Charlie explains that there, there's not meant to be a point to candy. Like, that's what makes it so, like, magical or wonderful or I'm totally, totally paraphrasing, but you get the idea. Right. And it's his attitude towards the candy and chocolate. Yeah. And, and, and the, like, and, and you know, I mean, you find out in both movies, like, that's that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that child element because that's children look at candy differently than an adult does. Maybe not me as an adult. Like, I will love candy until the day that I die. But in theory, like, there's just a way that children look at things in a way that adults just they lose that. They can't do that anymore. And so it really drove home that point more so in the second one to understand the need for Charlie and wanting Charlie, where it kind of comes out of left field in the original of why are all these kids here? Like, what's what's the point of visiting this factory other than people maybe possibly dying and getting incinerated in the in our garbage day? I think that one of the things that left me kind of scratching my head watching the newer film 
is that here you have a tale of two stories on Wonka. You have the story of when he's a kid and how he wants to pursue candy, but yet his father, the dentist, is like, that's frivolous, it's stupid, mm-hmm. don't do it. If you do it, I'm going to leave. And then he picks up the whole building, <laughs> the whole house. rips it out, and moves it somewhere where he can't find him. Okay. Again, suspending belief, I get it. Moving on. Now he wants to find an heir, clearly, we learn. Mm-hmm. It's his attitude towards those kids and how each one of them, he keeps looking like, ugh. Uh-huh. I'm like, that should not be the way he'd be acting. Maybe towards right. the parents because right. he was anti-parent for mm-hmm. most of the film. Yeah, he can't even say parents. But but the kids, you're being right. indifferent. You're still in some capacity still mentally a child yourself mm-hmm. you should have been able to connect from them from the beginning and again i'm not blaming johnny depp for the performance because johnny depp can only do what he's given what he's given yeah. is the script it comes down to the script overall <clears throat> i would say if i had to rate this on a scale of one to ten wonka bars i'm probably given the johnny depp version Six Wonka bars. I'm going to be more generous because I enjoy it and, you know, I get out of it what I feel I should. While I don't disagree that he should definitely love the kids a lot more coming from the background of, like, the book itself um, and the writer, um, I'm going to go ahead and give it eight Wonka bars. It's not my favorite of the two, though. So, no. what okay. am I going to give the next one, huh? Oh, <laughs> right. All right. So, then we've got Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And, of course, that one is definitely way more of a musical. I mean, you start off in the candy store, and you're yeah. getting a song right off the bat. Yeah. Plus, there's My two musical theater songs. self was like, wait a second. I don't remember this being a musical. Yep. And there's <laughs> two iconic songs, you know, within the first half of the film. Mm-hmm. And, uh... One of those I mean, is currently a commercial. Well, World of Imagination is my favorite song from that film. Yeah. And that's the song he's singing when they're all looking at all the mm-hmm. edible grass and trees and this yep. and that. That's um, my favorite scene. Okay, so with this film, obviously it's got a different feel. Willy Wonka, once the golden tickets are out there, when he's presenting himself to the children and the people, is a, a lot more user-friendly. He gives that tip of the hat to the crowd where you got none of that from Johnny Depp. No, you didn't even see him. (laughs) Right. It wasn't written that way. And, um, but (laughs) there's things that are said in the beginning part of the film, like Mike TV, when he finds the golden ticket and they've got the the media there (laughs) and he goes, I really want a Colt 45. And, of course, he's dressed as a cowboy, so not mm-hmm. to be confused with the malt liquor, Colt 45, as for it by name, local liquor store. No, don't, kids. If you're under 21, don't drink and drive. Or don't drink. Uh, but he says nobody, he wants Nobody to. should drink and drive. Just throwing right. that disclaimer out there. Absolute. But he says he wants a Colt 45, but his dad said no. He's got to wait until he's 12. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, so he can have a Colt 45 pistol when he's 12 years old. Wow, things have changed. 
That's that's insane. Um, but I also noticed the huge difference in the delivery on how the ticket was even found between the two films. The newer film, Charlie Bucket finds a $10 note in the snow mm-hmm. and goes to buy his chocolate bar. And then one for his Grandpa Joe. Correct. And that's, of course, when they discover he's got the ticket and people mm-hmm. are trying to accost him and such, and he makes the beeline. Yep. But this newer film, Charlie, fi- or the older film, Charlie finds a coin in the drain near mm-hmm. the factory. He goes to buy chocolate, but not a Wonka bar. And it wasn't until he used the change left over that he bought a Wacom bar mm-hmm. and then goes outside, finds out that no. the Russian ticket is fake. Well, he, you're right. He didn't get a Wonka bar, but he got the Scrum Diddly bar. Correct. Which and is still Wonka. True. But the Wonka bar is where the ticket he ends up finding mm-hmm. in yep. the Wonka bar. So then, of course, he's outside and people look like they're about to maul a six, seven-year-old boy <laughs> for this golden ticket. Yeah. And some random guy who I'm like, how are we supposed to know who this is, goes, no, run home, Charlie. No, it's his, um, it's the boss. It's who he sells the newspapers for at the newsstand. Oh, okay, so I must have missed that part while I was taking my notes, and it had been a while since I'd seen it. But it's just, it happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, he goes home and yeah. yeah, start playing out from there. Yeah, and then in the newer one, it's the um, it's the man who's the like manager or employee of the candy store yeah. that tells him to run home because they're trying to give him like all this money for like it. Five hundred bucks. I yeah, think is what the lady <laughs> offered him. No. Yeah, that's insane. Um, but it kind of makes sense. I mean, there was so much hype around mm-hmm. this golden ticket that uh, it's become a hot commodity that just magically happened to fall into the hands of children. Right. (laughs) And each time, though, on both of the films, it just happens to be the one bar in the front of the display, two different types of displays where the golden ticket happened to be. And I'm like, if he hadn't bought that, someone else would have just come along and gotten it. But obviously, that's the magic and the mystery. (laughs) Right, exactly. This kid with dumb luck. I mean, they could have been like a Veruca and. Right. It's, it's something obnoxious. It's like twelve hundred bars a day or something like that. I don't even remember. The factories where yeah. Daddy, Daddy was having the crews just yeah. opening up bars around the clock. Yep. The first film, the person who finds it makes a big deal and announces it. The second mm-hmm. one, she's she like, "I'm gonna slide this into my apron." Yep. But um, for the record, my favorite character in both films, Veruca Salt. And not just because that's also the name of a 90s band who had the hit song Seether. Have you ever heard of Veruca Salt, the band? I know that I have come across it, but I would not be able to tell you a song from them. Seether? Yeah, you're going to want to listen to that. It's a really good song if you like alternative rock. But anyways, I digress. I like Veruca just because of the fact that... She's so over the top in everything that she wants that I kind of am rooting for her, going, you have those pushover parents that you've been pushing around for so long. You 
You go for that squirrel. You get that squirrel if that's what you want, little girl. You're going to live with the consequences afterwards. But I just like the way it was played on both ends. Not so much of uh, Violet Beauregard. I, I feel like Violet Beauregard in this the newer film mm-hmm. was too CG cartoony after she gets turned into a blueberry. Yeah. And then does the backflips off the staircase and such. I know mm-hmm. I'm getting a little yeah. off topic I kind of thought about some of those things, too, um, particularly like when she was when I was watching the first one and all the things that they did. So, the you know, you talked about the World of Imagination song and when they first walk in and they can eat everything. Um, I loved it so much in the 71 version because, I mean, you can see that there are these fake plastic vines wrapped around these probably when they were purchased Christmas candy cane decorations to make this world. And again, I said it earlier, like my musical theater background coming from like theater in high school and even into university, I like, I appreciated it so much for what was used to make it look as amazing as it was. Um, I definitely thought the waterfall and Chocolate River played out a lot better in the second one. It looked more like this, like, milky chocolate that you wanted to stick a straw in and drink. Where okay. the first one, they kind of made the comments of, like, oh, is this dirty? Like, this, it's pollution, you know? Because sure. it didn't, it looked like a brown river. It didn't look like a chocolate river. Okay. Um, but when Violet is, you're turning into a blueberry, or you're turning Violet, Violet. <laughs> right. Um, uh, actually, he says it three times. It's Violet. You're turning Violet, Violet, which is a little too much for me. <laughs> sure. um, and the way that that happens in the 71 movie is so, um, I don't know. I was, like, mesmerized by it. I'm like, how did they do this? I really, like, I want, like, a like a behind-the-scenes movie. I want to know how they did that, whereas in the 2005 version, it was definitely CGI and rolling her around and jumping on top of her and you know where's her head going where's her hands going where in the original they actually had to physically put her on her side and they were rolling her in her hands the (laughs) the balloon that she was in was big enough that her hands and feet were protected as they were I guess her feet were at the bottom but the hands so they could roll her I, I don't know I appreciated that I like the boat ride better in the first one. I didn't yeah. need all the drops and the dips. I mean, you know, you start off and he's talking about, you know, where they're going and things get psychedelic. And clearly I took some kind of mushroom at some point <laughs> that I don't remember taking. Right. So it does get psychedelic. But I do like that boat ride better because mm-hmm. of the way it just goes from crazy visuals, crazy visuals to, we're here. Oh, look, we're here. Yeah, yeah. And then they pull on up and then they get rolling. Yeah. And, okay, what I like about the boat ride with Johnny Depp is when they're going through all of the creams, and it's like the whipped cream, and they're winning the <laughs> They did spend more time with that, yes. Yeah, and then and then they get to, like, the hair cream, and I think it's Violet's mom. She turns around, and she's like, hair cream? What's that for? And he's to lock in moisture. <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought that was funny. I got a chuckle out of that. But that boat ride in the first one is really the only thing in my mind that I could say in comparison and in comparing rather the two movies that it's darker than the newer one. 
where I, I feel there are, like I said, there are a lot more dark elements to the newer one than the original. But if you're only looking at that boat ride, hundred percent, yeah, seventy one wins that <laughs> wins that prize. Well, in both of them, when they were explaining various prototype candies and such, um, I thought that the descriptions, at least, like when it came to the gum, mm-hmm. were on point. I liked it. Uh, I, I was a little disappointed in the newer film that there wasn't the slugworth element Mm-mm. that the original had because there's no... I mean, they kind of did in the beginning when they were just talking about all the competition that came through. But yeah, there wasn't, like, yeah, what you're leading to, there wasn't that element of... Right, where you were like, oh, these kids are traitor pocket stuff and take mm-hmm. it to the enemy where the first film it clearly had that element mm-hmm. um, but my favorite candy that was presented was in the very first film mm-hmm. the lickable wallpaper <laughs> where he goes yeah if you lick an orange it'll taste like an orange and I'm like you give me that lickable wallpaper but you make that crispy bacon flavored and no one will ever see me again <laughs> I would be wearing a a hole in my wallpaper, that would be incredible. (laughs) Okay, maybe not. But, I mean, it still would be interesting nonetheless. It may not be necessarily good in a pandemic environment when you're dealing with COVID-19, so you don't want to, like, hey, come on over, everybody. We're going to have a party around my lickable wallpaper. (laughs) Probably not recommended, at least right now. Go out and get vaccinated, everyone. You're welcome. (laughs) That's a PSA. Plug. Okay, so what would you rate this original film out of ten Wonka bars? Ten Wonka bars. Because it has competition and that there was a remake, I can only give it nine and a half Wonka bars. If the scrumdiddlyumptious was real, I'd give it ten. Okay. It's a movie that's like it it's it's a movie I grew up with. Like I remember having this recorded on a VHS tape from I don't know, probably TV, obviously if it's recorded. Right. And watching it all of the time. Um not as much as I watched The Little Mermaid or The Wizard of Oz, but I watched this all of the time. Okay. I'm going to give this particular film, the original film, Ten Wonka bars. And one lickable wallpaper, because I think it's that iconic Mm -hmm. of a performance by Gene Wilder. Mm -hmm. That I can't can't in good conscience let that one go without giving that true nod. The man was a comedic genius Mm -hmm. and has put on some amazing performances that I'm sure we'll talk about some of those in another, another episode. But this one uh, is one that's always been one that I've kept close to the heart. Uh, my mom enjoyed this film when she was alive. I remember watching it as a kid. Um, I liked it a lot. So overall, though, solid series. Haven't had that opportunity yet to watch the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory starring Tom and Jerry, which is apparently <laughs> available now, and it's fully animated. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm going to run out just yet to uh, check that out because it 
there's only so much you can do in an animated film and stay true to any kind of storyline. So I imagine it's sure. going to be geared more towards kids. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, Bree, I got to add one more thing to our Wonka discussion. Me too. <laughs> Two films, one in the 70s, one in the early 2000s. Ten tickets total were given out. Golden tickets. Uh-huh. You mean to tell me that the only people that were able to find those golden tickets were a bunch of white kids from all over the world? That's it? There was nobody from Japan or China or Africa? It's all a bunch of white kids. One was underprivileged. The other ones were privileged. Right. I think in... F. In the first film, the like they have the adult. He's like a. I can't remember if he's like a president or what, but he's from. I, I want to say Southern America. I can't remember. But the Did guy you say Southern America, South was, America, like Texas, <laughs> like South America. Like I feel, I can't remember, and it's gonna drive me nuts. But I mean, you're you're a hundred percent right. I don't. You're not. You're not inaccurate with that. No, I know it's based on the description in the book, but right. I'm really surprised that the newer film wasn't a little bit more inclusive. Now, yeah. granted, now granted, the Oompa Loompa wasn't a orange painted alien from Oompa Loompa Land in the newer film. But here's the other problem I had. By using the same actor Uh in the new film as an Oompa Loompa, and I'm not trying to make anything light of the Oompa Loompas, I feel like there may have been a missed opportunity for additional people to have roles. So the original film had various Oompa Loompas. Mm -hmm. I'm not delusional to think that every single Oompa Loompa was a different actor and they had hundreds of little people acting and they never repeated characters. I'm pretty sure that at some point they to save on funds or finance, Mm -hmm. they reused some actors in various scenes or they just were written as different scenes. But I feel like using the same guy and albeit he's pretty popular-ish by the time this film hits because Mm -hmm. he was in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as the Snow Queen's henchman and such. So he's had other roles. But there are a lot of actors that could have played additional Oompa Loompa scenes. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching here, but I feel like there's some kind of a disconnect Yeah, I, you know, one thing that I liked about having the the same person in the newer ones um, was, I don't know, I, I, what I was thinking when I was watching it, particularly the scenes where, like, they're, you've got them facing one another, the, the Oompa Loompas, or, you know, versus being in, like, a single file line doing the same thing, just how 
clever in how, like, from an editing standpoint of being able to take all these different clips. Because my understanding is, is that when he first got this role, he didn't know that he was going to be the Oompa Loompa. Okay. Um, but so they, you know, they they are splicing all of this together and and editing it so that he's like these these mirror images of him dancing with himself, you know. But then they had all the different voices. So then you'd have you'd see Deep Roy with a deep voice and you'd see Deep Roy with a female voice. And so I kind of like I had fun with it. And just from an editing standpoint, I just thought how cool and clever. But going back to, like you said, like diversity and inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, it's coming from a book and it was written a certain way. But there all of these areas are geographical locations where there's definitely um, different demographics. So they totally could have made it a child who isn't white. I don't disagree with that. I I think looking back at 2005, people were a lot. I don't want to say. I don't want to say like ignorant. I just think that people were much less self-aware in a way that we are now. Oh, sure. The woke generation. Is yeah. And, the last two and I mean, years. And, and 100%, like something could have and should have been done about it years and years ago. But now that people are starting to, like, you know, become more educated on the subject and actually be able to see the lack of diversity and inclusion and then change it, I think that, you know, it, during that time, I don't think people were in that mindset. So that's not, I'm not defending it, but I'm just saying that that's likely why they still picked a chunky German boy to be Augustus Gloop, you know? Right, right. Well, and the way the character is written is just that. Augustus Gloop is a gluttonous child who... Mm -hmm does nothing but eat and eat and eat and his mm-hmm. parents have or his father happens to be the head butcher of the town so he has access to food on right. a ready steady basis but anyway i just figured i'd throw that out there because it was something i noticed now would i have noticed that in 2005 probably not because i was in the same mindset as a vast majority of the world everybody was focused on the here and the now mm-hmm. the the pandemic has made us more aware of everything else that's happening in the world, mm-hmm. including to groups that are marginalized or have been treated marginalized and such. Mm-hmm. So I was just curious what your thoughts were. That's all. Yeah. Um, something that I wanted to mention that was my favorite part in the original outside of the world of imagination when you can eat everything um, that I found like subtle humor in because I don't know unless you have seen it, you wouldn't other you wouldn't think anything of it. So when they go into the Wonka Vision Room and they've got this background music playing and they're sending the Wonka bar through the TV and then they're sending not by choice but they end up sending Mike TV into the TV. It's the it's the main score from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. <laughs> and so as as it's getting more and more dramatic, you know, the drums are picking up more and more and more and then he's scattered and then he ends up in the TV 
from the like the beginning 25 minutes of the movie with this score playing where it's it's all of these apes right so there's this this uh like i don't even know like this like silver rectangular statue that appears in the movie when it starts yeah, the to monolisk. shift sure when that's, it shifts yeah, that's, that's what it is okay yeah. so when it shifts from like from like the apes into space um and that's what became the wonka bar <laughs> so like when mike tv gets transferred and he's in there they you know it's just he's climbing on all of the rocks and like the apes are fighting each other i just thought that that was um I don't know. I, I kind of like got some like I guess humor out of it and appreciated it, and that like that's the musical score they were using, and then that's what's on TV. It it's just nice it all nod. went together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So, well, on that note, Bree, do you want to add anything before we wrap up this episode? Yes. Send me all of the watermelon laffy taffy that you guys can find. <laughs> Okay, that's funny. <laughs> well, I uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Red Carpet Cafe. Once again, I am one of your hosts, Eric Root, and as always is uh, my lovely co-host, Bree Prout. And that's me. Red Carpet Cafe is a member of the Be Kind Rewind podcast network. For more information, you can visit us at bkrpn.com. On the next episode of the Red Carpet Cafe, his son, I want to say Steven, I believe it's Steven, had for quite a few time, or quite a few years, had a festival going down in the Keys called the Humphrey Bogart Film Festival. I don't know if you were familiar with that or not. Nope. It got on my radar sometime around 2012 or 13 and I was like oh my gosh I want to go to this because it's basically just as it sounds it's a festival of all things Bogart Mm -hmm. and to some extent like TCM groups uh, Leonard Malton had embraced it and participated in it they had panels with uh, some people that were involved with some of the movies that were still around um but in 2017 they shut it down Mm. 